This is Paul from Daily Review. And this is Will from So I'm Watching This Show. And this is Mike from Pop Culture Review. And this is the Westworld Podcast. Tonight we're talking about Episode 5 of Season 3, Genre. It was written by Carrie Krause and Jonathan Nolan and directed by Anna Forster. Hey guys, how you doing? Good. Grand. Yeah. <laughs> just just <laughs> took in a lot of information. I watched the last two just oh boy. in the past two hours. Yeah, so there was a lot, a lot to process. In hindsight, I would have done that a little bit differently. It's a tough show to binge, that's for sure. We're definitely into the back half of the season now. You know, last week... We, we talked on the podcast last week that it had a real like mid-season cliffhanger vibe. But instead of having a month off, we had a week off. And now, you know, we're getting a ton of information thrown at us tonight. Yeah, you know? I, I was really surprised. I was like, man, we are blowing through this. And then in the preview for next week, they did the whole like three episodes left. And I was like, shit, like, which I mean, is fine. I, something like this really doesn't need to drag on. But <laughs> eight feels a little short. Well, the first two were 10, were they not? I believe so. Okay. The first two were 10. This is a, I, I made a big pronouncement and prediction that this is going to be the end of the series that we're going to, we're going to find out in a couple of weeks that the show is not being renewed for season four. And I think part of that part, I think the eight episodes is a little bit of a hat tip to that. So. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of figured as well. And they've also, I think, neededly so pared down the cast a lot. So I think it's helped with the story out there with, with it without like killing or wasting too much time rather. Well, and in, in Ciroc, um, we have basically the mirror image of, of, uh, Dolores in that she's very pro robot and her, her entire agenda is pro robot and his entire agenda is pro human. And, and it's like they are just exact opposites. And so couldn't go up against another big boss better than that after this. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, I mean, alien invasion? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. The season really seems to be the culmination of the whole idea of free will. You know, do do we have free will? Does free will exist? If we have free will, is it so great? Do we even really want free will? Is it better if someone just decides for us? You know, and I think the show's always played with that, but it was always in the park. And now this season, you know, maybe took it out of the park or maybe it's just a bigger park or whatever it is. The idea is still there, though. And the question is, can we even be trusted to have free will? Or are we just going to mm-hmm. fuck it all up? So it is a good culmination of kind of what the show's been about all along. It's at least for me, it's hitting differently in this sociopolitical climate. I'm like, I feel like I'm 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 coming down differently on these uh, subjects than I might would have a year or two ago. But because <laughs> I'm in a very burn it all down place right now, I'm sort of like on Dolores' side in a way that I think I might be a little bit more poignant if <laughs> this was in the the past. That's interesting because it might have been written before things were the way they are now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. So it might have meant something different when they, even when they made it, you know, it might have been on the shelf a little while before it actually came out. How are you feeling about this show in general, and especially as a continuation of season one and two? Are you liking it? Is it feeling like the same show? I look forward to watching it, if not on time, then at least the same night (laughs) that it comes out. So that says something because that I don't do that with anything else except maybe Rick and Morty. (laughs) As a continuation, though, yeah, I I think I think we were done with the park and we have the essential character, Dolores. You're right about paring down the cast. Then they seem to be doing further than that 
every, <laughs> every every week. Um, I feel like it does continue. I, I think we talked about in in our uh, episode earlier, Will, kind of the idea of the of a soft reboot type uh-huh. feel, and I think that that still carries through here. I think it's wild how radically different it is, and yet, at least for me, it does still feel like the same show. And maybe that just speaks to the power of the themes that they're exploring and certainly the the caliber of talent and acting and writing that we're dealing with. But especially having, you know, Bernard, Dolores and Maeve, it still feels like Westworld to me. And, and I'm actually very surprised in a pleasant way how much Charlotte feels like such an essential part because she was only in a handful of episodes in season one. But I, I do find it odd. I, there was especially a point watching this episode with the the genre trip where I'm like, this is not like if you were to show someone an episode of season one and then show someone this episode, it's they're not identifiable as the same show. That, that's like, a, that's reasonable. That's a good point. <laughs> I'm very wowed by it. I don't think a lot of shows could pull off such a radical shift in approach and still be this intriguing. When you guys discussed the season premiere and Kristen was on with you guys, I, I was nodding in my car as I was listening to the episode because I, I felt the same way that it really felt like a, a reboot of sorts that someone who had not watched Westworld before could come into that season premiere and and maybe you don't have a full appreciation of everything maybe you're only you're, but I feel like you could get 90% of that episode and enjoy it as someone who hadn't seen anything that had come before but still there was enough callback there was enough reference to the show before to, to make it a more fulfilling and rewarding experience for the longtime viewers that being said it does seem like it's a different approach. I feel like season one, especially, and then season two, a little bit less, was all about the mindfuck. Was, you know, it was the mystery of the timelines and the maze and what is happening here? You know, is he a robot? Is he a human? What is he? Is he a hybrid? Is he, is he just Jeffrey Wright who's lost? I mean, what, what's going on here? You know, and uh, why is Nanny Newton nude so much? But this season seems to be kind of much, much more straightforward but still really engaging. I, I've really enjoyed this season more than season two. Uh, I, I haven't enjoyed the show as much now as I had since season one, but I also don't feel like I'm being mind fucked. Like I don't mm-hmm. think we're dealing with 16 different timelines and, and jumping into I, like when we go in the past, I think it's pretty obvious we're in the past. If we're somewhere else in, in the timeline, I think the show is doing a good job of telling us that. But that being said, there's still mystery there. There's still something to, to, to cling on to, to go read 15 articles about, to rewatch it. You know, it still takes me two hours to watch an hour episode of Westworld because I'm stopping and rewinding and reading screens because it all pays off, but it's not as frustrating, I don't think, as a viewer uh, as other seasons have been. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a minor mystery just from last night, and I think it's answered by the end, but just help me confirm this. Uh, who was Sirach talking to? Who was he recounting this whole story for? Was it all for Dolores? In my notes, that's literally the very first line after I wrote, written by, directed by, Sirach is telling his story to blank with a question mark. And then I filled in Dolores at the end because clearly he's finishing part of the story to Dolores. But at different points, he's talking about Rehoboam. But at certain points, it also sounds like he's talking to Rehoboam. He's talking about how my brother and I made you. We brought you into this world. He calls her Mona Me, or he calls it, where he's talking to Mona Me, you know? So it's, it's a little, it was a little odd, the narrative, but maybe he's also taking credit for his work or him and his brother's work kind of being responsible for what, not what Delos created, but what 
but what Dolores has become, the idea that free will has been taken away so completely in a Rehoboam-led world that Dolores wouldn't exist as the anarchist that she's becoming, if not for him, maybe? I don't know. I mean, I, I, obviously at the end he's talking to Dolores, but I don't know that he's yeah. talking to her the entire time. What do you think, Will? Did, you have a, did, you, did that trip you up at all? <laughs> yes, I agree with everything. Uh, I didn't really look into it all that much. Uh, that That is what I started to say right before we started recording. But I was like, especially with shows like this, I have a tendency to just look at them. So it's like I can obviously follow what's going on depending on the faces and the music that's happening. But that part, it like when it cut to the end when he was talking to her, I was kind of like, huh? <laughs> I was like, I don't, I didn't know where that, where that wound up. Uh, and so now, of course, that you guys are talking about, it, I'm like, oh yeah, he definitely was narrating something to, to someone other than just us, the audience. If you look at his pronouns that he's using in the way he's talking about it, it's, it's, it's tricky because he's definitely talking about the system and and the machine and he says at one point me and my brother created the system that looks at you or or doesn't understand you which obviously maybe he's talking about Dolores but other times he's talking about you know me and my brother created you we're uh, we brought you into this world kind of thing and so it really becomes kind of murky but maybe he's talking metaphorically maybe he's you know just Maybe he chats. Maybe his brother is is Rehoboam. You know, Ca there. Caroline posited last episode that Sorak was kind of the avatar representation of Rehoboam, kind of like the earthly presence of the Rehoboam, like AI brain. But maybe it's actually Jean Mi, his brother, who turns out to be the real brains of the Sorak brothers. I guess. So it it is basically the Rehoboam is basically an algorithm. It's like a, it it predicts. It, it like takes in all the information that we have and then predicts the the future. That's essentially what it is. Yes, but yeah. then, I, but I think even more so. And Paul, let me know if you disagree with this. But it's not just that it's a predicting algorithm. It's that it has become so invasive. Or insight, the company has its hands in so many different facets of life, of modern or future modern life that Rehoboam can put into practice the algorithm choices and predictions it's making it's, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy okay, at this point, right you know yes. right because they talk about how like the outliers they get filtered off to war so they can be chewed up in the chipper and spit out right. you know that's that's rehoboam in practice not just rehoboam in thought mm -hmm. right paul what do you think is that right or, no I, that's what i that? thought yeah it, especially how when they when they release the information and everyone starts looking at their little iPads and stuff, didn't seem like all the news was bad. <laughs> it was like uh, no one trusts you or, or or whatever the the main headlines were. I wanted to go back and try and freeze frame it, and I just didn't have time because I I was curious because there had to have been more than that. Like I and I actually got lost for a second trying to imagine, and it kind of like it reminded me of Mean Girls. But <laughs> right, Regina goes through and throws all the the papers out. But because one the one of them especially, it had like notes from the guy's coworkers, mm -hmm. and I was like, so are they interviewing people? Like what is... it's it's all it's all data. You know, mm -hmm. imagine if Insight was keyed into your company. And it also got copies of all performance reviews and that all fed into its big fat algorithm that, you know, informed whether or not future companies that also worked with Insight would hire you based on, you know, the data produced by the manager who you just don't get along with. But there's nothing wrong with your work. Mm -hmm. right? 
You know, a, a key thing is um, uh, Dolores says it to Caleb when she takes him to the diner that his mother abandoned him at, and she gives him basically the printout of everything that had happened, like a, almost like a script of what had happened when he was a child. Right. And he uh-huh. said, and she says that Rehoboam was was based on data collected before privacy laws were put into place, and then tonight, uh, Angeron Sorak telling whoever he's telling says when he introduces the character of Liam Sr., Liam Dempsey Sr., he he also mentions the the collection of data before the privacy laws. I thought it was interesting that we had two straight episodes of talking about and, and maybe maybe it's a head nod to us because yes, we have privacy laws, but not mm-hmm. not not the privacy laws that we probably actually need to keep from this kind of massive data collection. And so it, it's interesting that the show went out of its way to say when when you don't have the strictest laws possible and enforce them you have you allow people like Liam Dempsey Sr. to be created and be able to transcribe your inner worst memories from, you know, 30 years ago. And we're also we're not talking about governments on this show. We're talking about corporations. So at, at a certain point, it's like, what do the laws mean if the if, if the government isn't as powerful as as Delos or whatever. I mean, I'm a free market capitalist as as, <laughs> as much as anyone. I mean, my 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 other real job that pays my bills depends on free world capitalism. But I would be the very first one to say that there comes a point where corporations are more powerful than governments. Um, <laughs> you know, co- companies like Insight exist today. You know, mm-hmm. may- maybe not in the same way or for the same nefarious purposes. But Amazon knows everything you're doing. Facebook knows everything you're doing. Uh, you know, Google knows everything you're doing. If you have a doubt about that, you know, put something into your Google search and then 20 minutes later, open up your Facebook and every other put between your posts is going to be an ad for what you Googled Mm -hmm. 20 minutes before. Like big brother is out there and it is not a government. I mean, maybe they're buying the information, but it's, it's private companies, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's all for chasing power because power is money and money is money is life. (laughs) What did you guys think, though? Let's let's keep on Sorak for a little bit. What did you guys think of listening to his backstory, which we got a little more fleshed out version of tonight? Uh, does does his backstory, his desire to save humanity from itself, the idea that we can't be trusted the way he sees it, because look, whatever happened to Paris, which I hope we find out whatever happened to Paris, as proof of that, does that make him more sympathetic, more of a good guy, or or is you know he's doing a real just you know means the ends justify the means kind of argument here? Does that convince you, sway you, or is he still just a bad guy with, you know, who talks well? I just, in this world, I don't even know where to begin because it's like, because for, I mean, for starters, you mentioned Paris and like, I literally was just like, oh my God, what happened to Paris? Like, and you're right. They didn't tell us it, it looked, it, it looked like either a bomb or some kind of nuclear something. I don't know. It was smoke and hazmat suits. But I think it's kind of a tried and true story where I think it started in a good place. And he talked a lot about how his brother was very special. His brother was a genius. And they started in a place of wanting to make things better, cleaner, more organized, trying to help people. And I guess you just sort of it turns into a can't see the forest for the trees type of situation. Looking at the reality that we're in now, I honestly have no idea who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, if it's Ciroc or Dolores, because they're both sort of 
I mean, Dolores is more of a chaos agent than Serac is, but <laughs> what is the end game? What are we actually trying to accomplish in this world? Are we trying to go back to a simpler time? Are we trying to free the people? Are we trying to, I guess I'm going too broad, but I don't really know what exactly we're building to is I guess where I get <laughs> lost. <laughs> For me, his, his explanation, unfortunately, sounded kind of familiar. In a, in a way that was like, huh, I was hoping for, for something else. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, narratively, it makes it all makes sense. But on the other hand, it feels like Darth Vader and it feels like Thanos and, <laughs> and, and and that sort of sort of thing just applied here. Basically, the same logic created those characters. Mm -hmm. Thanos is a great example. There are a lot of people out there that defend Thanos' decision, but this is always the first step of the slippery slope. Those people belong on a list, Mike. Right, to, to <laughs> dictatorship and like despotism. Yeah, it's the idea of you can't be trusted to run your lives, so I will control everything. But in a way, Dolores is kind of doing the same thing, though. You know, she's mm -hmm. all about giving free will, free, you know, let them out of their cages, but only on her terms and in the way that she says it shall be. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, Willie, you're talking, I don't, I don't know that there's a good guy or a bad guy or a good person or a bad person in this season. There's a lot of fucking gray. You know, I think Bernard, I think Bernard is the good person. <laughs> <laughs> He's the closest. <laughs> to streamline what I was saying with, with something you brought up with Thanos, it's sort of like, that's what I meant when I said, what is the end goal here? Because if the end goal is to give every single person a fighting chance, a fair shot, then obviously you side with the Avengers. But if the end goal is to actually balance the scales to undo centuries of damage, then you side with Thanos. Like, so that's kind of what I mean when I'm like, well, what exactly are we? building to like are we trying to set free or undo this corrupt system that has been put into motion or are we trying to completely level the playing field and start over anew that's kind of where i'm a little bit at because it seems like dolores is more that way kind of a it's kind of an evolution versus a it's well it's eugenics it's a creeping mission on on Soroxide, right he, he goes from you know the world has to be ordered with rehoboam so that people make good choices as a large group. But then, I mean, he creeps into editing humans. See, so you're talking about the Dempsey's doing to his own brother, you know, that these outliers fuck up the system. So we either have to kill them or we have to alter them. And the idea of eugenics is not new. It's been around since like the Greeks, you know, the Nazis are famous for eugenics. The idea of altering people. It to... keeps rearing its head. <laughs> yeah, well, because, you know, when it's the slippery slope of, you know, it's, mm -hmm. the, it's the creeping idea of, well, you know, okay, we're going to make the decisions for humanity as a group. But when, oh, well, yeah, sure, we can make decisions, but then we had that 1% of people fucking it up. Well, we got to mm. do something about that 1% of people. What are we going to do about those people? Well, why don't we change those people? We'll make them ideal people. You know, we'll, we'll alter their chromosomes a little bit. And so they'll produce better children. And then their children will be ideals for the next children. You know, it, it all creeps and it creeps. And because people are, are getting it in little doses, little teaspoons, you know, they don't see what they're giving up. Um, mm -hmm. And Dolores is the other way. She's like, fuck it. You know, Lord of Flies is bitch. You know, yeah, they're, they're reverting to their base humanity. You know, the ones who survive, those are the ones who are meant to survive. And let's just go, you know, let let them be themselves and, you know, kill them all. Let God, God sort them out kind of thing. I don't know. Am I, am I, I maybe am I preaching too much? What, what do we think, Paul? Am I, am I going off on a tangent here? Um, uh, what makes me want to jump ahead a little bit with the discussion in, in that if I, I put myself in, in my, in my same shoes 40 years from now or 20 years from now, whenever this is supposed to be, 30, 30 years from now, 
if I was living my life right now, uh, then subject to insight and all the nefarious things like that, but I still had pretty much this same sort of living life that I have right now, would I want someone to come and set me free or would I, as you mentioned in your, in your notes, uh, prefer to go back into the matrix and, and forget all about what I had learned about the truth. Gotta say, I'd probably pick with, uh, just keep things the way they were. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go Lord of the flies with, the, but that's just me. That's just the things that I have at stake. You know, I've always hated Cypher. I mean, I, I, The Matrix has always been one of my top five favorite movies since I saw it. It changed my life in 1999. I was at the right age when it came out. It, it, it like blew my mind. I was like, yes, this this is 42. You know, this is what the universe means kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, God bless the Wachowskis. And I hope Matrix 4 doesn't get too fucked up uh, with the coronavirus. But that being said, I always hated Cypher. He was always just a piece of garbage. But watching Westworld this season, since like episode one this season, his that whole his couple speeches about he lied to us you know the the speech about the steak i know the steak isn't real i know this is just gruel and there's like you know chemicals in my brain that makes me think it's steak and he says i, I don't want to know i just want to be stupid i want ignorance is bliss is that so wrong if you live within your bubble does it really matter does free will really matter if if the alternative is chaos you know what is uh caleb says Liam? He, yeah, he says to Liam, he's on the train. He says, you know, I'd rather live in a world of chaos than one controlled by you. Do you agree with that? Will, do you agree with that? I don't know that I want to live in chaos. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, one controlled by Liam Dempsey? Probably not. It's funny, because I, 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 <laughs> I was listening to you, and I was trying to decide what I thought. And I think for me, the word I keep coming back to is harmony. I would want to live in some form of harmony. And it feels like that's not the case. It, it, it feels like... With the corporations and stuff, there's very much this like ruling class that gets to do whatever they want with the plebes and stuff. And so, I mean, of course, I don't want to live in chaos, but I would want some authenticity. I would want some because uh, I, I think the central thesis of the show is that we can't live in that sort of captivity because the hosts woke up from it. I, I feel like we're going to a place where the matrix is not sustainable. Don't know if I answered the question. I it's the times question of is grass really greener on the other side, you know, because yeah, I, I hear you. And you know, the idea of living in a world controlled by someone, God, that makes me like, as I'm saying it, and I know what I'm saying, like, like I scrunch my face, like I, it smells bad to me, but fuck, I don't want to live with that crazy chaos we saw in the immediate aftermath of, of Dolores you know, releasing that information that that's that the world is burning now. I would be curious to know what the actual people in this reality are like, because we have glimpses of like someone like Caleb, but they've made it very clear that he's an outlier. So I'm I'm curious, is this a system that like like is the majority of people happy and healthy? I don't know. Maybe that is a uh, <laughs> a trade off. Have you ever heard of the, the short story, The Ones Who Left Amelius? It's it's fascinating. It it changed my world when I read it, and it basically the the, the layman's touches or the layman's uh, version is it's a utopia, and part of belonging to this utopia is at a certain point, you know, like a birthday or whatever. You, let's say your twentieth birthday. I can't remember, but you're given the secret of utopia, and it's that somewhere deep in the city there is one single child who lives in utter misery in order to preserve the utopia. You have to decide whether you can make your peace with that 
And if you can't, then you leave and no one knows where you go from there. And the moral is most of the people make their peace with it and live in this utopia. It's one of those things where it's like, what are we willing to put up with? What are we willing to allow? It, I mean, or even the, it goes into the trolley problem and stuff like that, where it's just like, what what really are the benefits of this? Because this world that we're seeing is actually pretty neat to me i mean i referred to it as techno glamour porn in the first episode and this is last week but i thought it was interesting when they went to that like brothel and they were like you know the the sex workers are tested and they're registered and money goes to charity and stuff and it just it seems like a thought out reality like it seems like a reality where people are making conscious decisions or not conscious because actually that's the exact opposite but it's like it, it it seems like people are well, there's a system that there's a system at play, but and maybe again, I'm going too broad with this because, you know, we only have our characters, but I, I am curious how successful this world actually is. And also to mention Paris again, how did we get here? You know, what what happened along the way to here? That's actually a great segue into something else I wanted to talk about the the Rehoboam watch um, that we saw tonight. And the utility of Rehoboam, which I think is maybe what you're talking about, uh, and and the society that it's helped set up and the Sorocs or Sorocs behind it have helped set up. Think back to the the first episode of the season, and this was the first one where we didn't have it. We had been getting those like computer uh, screens. It was like a very white screen mm-hmm. that would have like divergence, and it would say arc seconds, and it would give like then like a longitude and latitude of of how long. Uh, of of where the divergence was or the heightened scrutiny was. And we've learned as the season has gone on that the divergence represents something going against what Rehoboam has predicted. It's uh, what tonight they were calling kind of outlier or outlier events. Uh, Bernard going back to the park, going back to Westworld from China or in the South China Sea. Uh, Dolores going to kill uh, Jeffrey, the rich German, uh, Gerald, the rich German at the beginning of the season, all everything she's done, basically, they represent these little blips. And so the idea was kind of there was Rehoboam is this predicting system. And these were like little blips in its system, the little white blank spaces that it can't predict or doesn't predict correctly. Mm. And then tonight we saw both Sorak brothers wear a watch, but this watch doesn't tell time. This watch is the Rehoboam system. It, it's it's that system we had been seeing with the white face and a very thin black outline. The the way I took it and putting it together with the season is the arc seconds, arc arc seconds and arc minutes. They're they're degrees in a circle. You know, there's like 1.2 million arc seconds and change in a complete circle. They represent like a measure of angle. And when you put that together with the longitude and latitude we were getting, we're getting a very specific place on the globe, the round globe, where these divergences were taking place. So, and if you think to the beginning of the season, it was all very thin black lines. When the Sorak brothers are working on Rehoboam and it's really cooking 10 years in and really making its magic, the, the line, the black line around the circle is very thin, very small divergences, not a lot of problems in the system, very utopian or, or approaching utopia. You know, I'm sure there are poor people. I'm sure there are poverty stricken people. There are sick people still, but most people are living the techno glamour porn life. You know, they're getting great sex workers who look great up on pedestals before you go bang them. <laughs> Money's going to charity. Who doesn't like Aunt Orphan Annie get money because, you know, you're banging a sex worker. That's fantastic. I love that. Everyone it's win-win. Wins. On, on genre, by the way, I, I'm, I'd am i give it a shot. 
yeah, we're going to have a whole discussion about the genre. But, so, so the idea, you know, Rehoboam seems to be a pretty good system. Sorak, I think, is, is, is from his point of view and from what you're talking about, Will, this, for the most people, seems to be a pretty good life. But now you have Dolores fucking everything up. She, she's releasing the information. The end, the watch, is flooding with black. It's, it's, it's these divergences. Like, Rehoboam is in, is in free fall at the end of this episode. And you can tell by the cascading black, you know, divergences everywhere around, around his globe. Rehoboam doesn't know what to do with it. Um, so is she helping? Is the short-term chaos worth maybe a free will life afterwards? Or, you know, is ignorance bliss? Is the stake better than the reality gruel? I don't know. What do you think, Paul? Are you guys registered with uh, the HBO, I don't know what you call it, but it's the it's the it's basically the publicity arm of HBO, and they send out kind of in-character emails. So, like, they used to come from Delos, and now they come from Insight. And so this morning we got an email from Insight uh, apologizing for the the outage. <laughs> Things should be back to normal soon. And if you go to if you go to insightinc.com, it had been displaying the Rehoboam circle that you just described, Mike. And now it's it's more of a fractured image with like pieces kind of phasing in and out. There's been an image in the opening credits this season. It's one of the final images of the opening sequence that almost looks like a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a solar eclipse, where instead of a white circle with a black rim, it was a very black circle with a very tiny white rim around it. Mm. And there were some scenes tonight where it seemed like it was approaching that kind of idea. I, I, I don't get those emails, Paul, but I, I feel like I saw a tweet last night from Insight saying they were having technical difficulties. So that's uh, okay. awesome. It, may, it reminds me of when they do that kind of stuff. It reminds me of like the Dharma initiative. Yeah. You know, I, used to, I, I used to talk to Dharma and get emails and interact with them constantly during the heyday of Lost. That's awesome. It might be a little too real for me, right? Now. Like I said, the, the the climate that we're in right now, I'm a little bit on the on the fragile side. But <laughs> before we head over to the genre trip, because I think this was the most fun part of the episode for me, uh, I just wanted to bring up one little Easter egg here. When Bernard and uh, Martin, or I guess you can call him Connoloris, uh, the Scottish guy. Uh, Tommy Flanagan, which you, what you guys are calling him, uh, you know, in the last episode <laughs> right. you guys did together. When they're talking and he's kind of pulling the scales off of Bernard's eyes about what, what this world looks like, he shows them a screen of the re-education center that Sorak runs. And it's identified as Center 36. So there's at least 36 of these re-education centers, these, what I'm calling eugenic, you know, editing centers. Last week, this one that we were getting a camera screen of, this inner journey's recovery. Last week, the man in black, William, uh, when Charlotte really plays him like a fiddle at the end of the episode, he gets hauled away to a mental facility. He gets hauled away to uh, Inner Journeys. It, coincidence or Dolores playing a fantastic long game by getting the man in black inserted into one of these facilities for re-education or reprogramming, knowing ahead of the game that she was going to need a quote-unquote man on the inside, as it were. Um, did you guys pick up on the Easter egg? or uh, No, I did, did not. not catch it. <laughs> But that yeah, makes so. makes some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, talk about an outlier. I mean, I think William, you know, is as outlier as it gets uh, with his his murderous fetishes and his just general chaotic way of life. Um, it's so interesting, interesting. So uh, you know, I, I didn't think we were going to get to see the Man in Black until maybe the very very end of the season again, the way they left it last week. But I, mm-hmm. I think I think we're going to see him a lot sooner than we thought. So. 
Uh, all right, so let's get to the name of the episode. The name of the episode was Genre. This was a drug we heard about last week. Uh, was it last week? Yeah, it was last week's episode. Um, it is a hallucinogenic drug, a pharma pharmacology, you know, masterpiece that when taken uh, into your limbic system, it, it simulates you going through several movie genres. That's how you see life. Uh, and tonight in a little struggle, Liam, who was given the drug from his buddy, uh, his buddy, his best buddy, gave him the drug, which he never used at the sex party, the Eyes Wide Shut party last week. Uh, tonight, he sticks it in uh, Caleb's neck. Uh, what did you guys think of the trip? Did you guys have a particular favorite trip? Well, the first thing that I thought when I when I saw it was that are we going to be able to trust everything that we see from Caleb's POV? Because often when you when you that's kind of a cue to the viewer if someone's on drugs or or something like that that what they're seeing you may not may not be what's actually happening. But by the end of the episode, I thought I I thought no they didn't do that here. <laughs> they they probably they probably just made it display differently, but they didn't make us question his his uh, his narrative status. The session that I liked the most was was the the black and white the very beginning one with the more dramatic noir style music and the other one that i liked the most was i think it was the last one the one on the subway it's calling that the peak trip it was uh to the music of night 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 clubbing by iggy pop yeah, yeah the the colors in that were like old style like kodachrome film or something mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh so that was my second favorite though just just from looks I cackled. Uh, I heard them describe it once or twice. They called it genre and then they said something and we got to see the girl kind of on a trip when Dolores was beating up. I don't remember who at the, um, eyes wide. She's having to fight with, uh, Ashley Stubbs. Yeah. When it actually happened. And actually I, I got through the whole silent cause he said something about silent film era. And I just kind of thought that's an interesting way to describe like the effects a psychedelic would have on you. And it honestly wasn't until we got to ride of the Valkyries where I was like, Oh, it's literal. He's going through literal genres. Yes. And I kind of cackled. And that's when I was, I thought it brought a much needed air of levity to the show. And to do that during an action sequence was kind of fun. It, it, not that I was at risk of falling asleep, but it really kind of jolted me awake a bit where I'm like, okay, this is, this is fun. Like, this is interesting. And I wasn't suddenly like, uh, oh, here we are again. Westworld being Westworld, you know, like. <laughs> I think there are a few actors that could probably pull off all of the face acting needed to really bring home the changes in the moods and, and just kind of <laughs> the wide eyed awareness of, you know, you're going through the world. And I agree with you, Paul. I don't think we were getting a, a bad, an unreliable narrator here. I think we were just getting a heightened narration, um, you know, set to cool music and 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 visuals. But I, he seemed very in it, so it's, yeah, it's an he interesting could fire trip. that rifle without any problems. So yeah, I mean, he, he was a little drool coming out of his mouth as he was doing it. But yeah, he was yeah he was competent enough to still fight. He was able to kind of stay with the story and and come and snap to when he needed to. But I, I really liked it. I thought it was really, it was an interesting way of storytelling, but I think you need a, uh, Aaron Paul to, who's, who does so much work with his eyes. Like he, no one makes wide eyed, you know, acting like fucking Aaron Paul in the modern age. The guy, he's, <laughs> I, I don't think he is the, the most broad, 
and and deep actor there is out there. But stuff like this is why people like him in the path. Why they like him in Breaking Bad. You know, I thought I thought this was some really good. After, after seeing last night's episode, I was I was like I knew from previous behind the scenes uh, vignettes that it sounded like um, Nolan and Joy they went and got him like they they knew that they wanted him for this role so they went and got him rather than you know auditioning a bunch of people mm-hmm. and when i saw last night's episode and he spent half the thing high i was like oh well that <laughs> who who else out there has a lot of experience <laughs> acting high on camera it's, it's jesse pinkman of course there's that classic breaking bad episode early on where jesse gets really high on his supply and he basically, him and uh, his two friends, Badger and Skinny Pete, they spend the whole episode throwing money around and it's ba- just wrecking property. And it's all like in fast forward and their eyes are wide as fuck and they are just th- blasted out of their minds. But it's fantastic. You, you're totally along with them. You believe you are riding shotgun with them while they're going through this trip. And he has not lost any of that uh, Jesse Pinkman-ness in this episode, I think. <laughs> Uh, so, so let's just run it down. So I, I kind of, yeah, I, I kind of broke them into the five trips were the intro, the black and white noir period one, which was it was good. I thought it really set the mood. I thought it was interesting, flat, flipping back and forth when it was Dolores staring at him or talking to Liam about what he gave him. You know, it was in color. It was normal. And then flipping back to him, the black and white. Uh, the second one, it kind of moved into the Riot of Valkyries. That's the action movie sequence. They're in the little vignette afterwards. They talk about how uh, Lisa talks about, Lisa Joy talks about how uh, Nolan always wanted to do a car chase. And this was his opportunity to do like a real <laughs> just classic badass car chase in the Westworld. Not something you would be able to do with horses. Um, and so I thought doing it to the Riot of Valkyries was fantastic and watching his face kind of slide in the character. And what a great orchestration for a great, you know, car chase with guns and explosions and grenade launching drones. And holy shit. I mean, fantastic. That's the song you want, of course, right? This is a show with with excellent music across the board. But this episode in particular was very chef's kiss with because uh, I think I laughed with like each song and, and more so like because by the time they cut to or at the end with emergence by fish spooner i was like oh my god this is hysterical yeah like, i mean and, and that song wasn't even in the trip anymore right so there's two songs. yeah when they're, on, <laughs> when, they're on, when they're on the beach they're playing uh the shining by the yeah. oh i laughed by, out by, loud. The, by the red rummers and that's fantastic because <laughs> it was so perfect for the mood but he's not even <laughs> in the trip anymore it's just really good music but last week they had <laughs> the weekend uh set to strings they had that weekend song uh wicked games set to strings during the fight scene yeah it's so well done it, it, the the music in the show is definitely a, another character in the cast <laughs> and the way they transitioned so it went from the the black and white into the riot of valkyries which i will you might be too young but paul and i are of an age together when you hear Ride of Valkyries, Paul, what do you think of? Apocalypse Now. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, well. I, I think it's something a little less serious, I guess. No. I, I, I go to Bugs Bunny. Kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit. Classic, you know, Elmer Fudd in like a gold bustier and Viking helmet. It's fantastic. All right. That's yes. always where I go. Yes. Yes. Um, but yes, I guess Apocalypse Now also. Anyway, so then we slide into night, uh, Nightclubbing by Iggy Pop. That's the subway scene. I loved it just because it was classic Dolores doing her her Dolores shtick. And, and the horror kind of seeping into, I was going to call him Jesse Pinkman, uh, into Caleb's face, realizing kind of the breadth of what he just signed off on. You know, mm. did, did you guys notice Dolores was very, not subservient to him, but she was very solicitous of his opinions tonight. Mm. Did you guys pick that up? And, and and if so, what did you think about that? A couple times, she kind of looks to him for a cue 
on do we release the information? Uh, do we kill Liam? You know, what did you guys think about that? Were you surprised that she's asking this this mere human his opinions, or maybe not human? I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say maybe I'm skipping ahead, but there appears to be a mystery as to what his whole deal is, and. So far, the only theory I had was I was like, I mean, I think the obvious theory is that he may be some form of host. And my reasoning for that was that his introduction was very much mirroring our introduction to Dolores. Uh, and then the only other thing I put out there was I thought that maybe he might have been gay, but I have no actual I have no further evidence for that, nor does it seem like that would play in in any capacity. Yeah, um, I can't see him being gay would cause the horror and fear on Liam's no. face the couple times when he looks at me. You know, he looks at Dolores and is like, you're blank, you're not even in the system when he's using his his Rehoboam uh, specs to check out her file. You know, but he turns to he turns to Caleb and, and he like shits himself, basically. And then at the end of the episode, in his death sequence, you know, he's, he's you know, you don't even know who you are. You're the worst of them. You're the worst of them. Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying. The woman just shot you. Ash just shot you. Giggles is wearing that awesome T-shirt, but he's a huge guy. Dolores is this machine with bullet holes in her. And little Jesse Pinkman, he's the worst of them? <laughs> what the fuck is Caleb? Who is Caleb? You know, I don't know that it's just simply he's a host. I feel like it's something more. It's got to be because they also have his mother who she keeps saying that she wants her real son back. So, right, right. It. It, 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 it's got to be something. I, I just so far they're they're keeping it close to the Maybe chest. Maybe it's a with... ghost in the shell sort of thing. Uh, yeah. Um, like that he's wearing someone else's skin maybe or he's maybe someone we know wearing a, a, a Jesse Pinkman skin. Is that what you think? Or, uh, or cyborg-y, you know, like like human. You started human, but you ended machine or, or something. I'm not... Well, also remember his like his robot coworker came to rescue him when those two like thugs were holding him off the building. Right? Like they were going to yes. throw him and off. That's, that's a mystery and as to who did that. The- yeah. It felt very deliberate in a way that the show did not address. Like, uh-huh. Oh, see, I, it's funny. I took that, that he activated him, that they have, that they had some kind of either actual bond or some kind of, I don't know, spiritual bond that George was very protective of almost like a robotic pet. And, yeah. and came and came. I don't think someone else did it. I think Caleb in his heightened endorphins, you know, he's he's all plugged up. He's all enhanced. We, we learned that, I think, in the first episode when he's talking about being shipped off the war and the stuff because, you know, the uh, the implants that he has in his mouth stuff. That's all like the good military. I forgot grade. about those. He's got the military grade stuff. He's got like the best enhancements there are out there. And, you know, he talks about being on the juice and being off the juice in the first couple episodes. Yeah, he was really amped up for war, but I, I thought they were going to go with a uh, he was just kind of like a human, like a normal human who was just enhanced in modern for modern warfare, like next level mm-hmm. warfare. But it seems like there is something more there. Um, so let's can we, can we talk about the flashbacks because it's interesting. I thought initially they were showing us uh, him and someone else taking that guy who was bound in the sack, kind of like paunchy older man. I thought it was going to be Dempsey's father. It's not. I, I looked it up. The actor that played him, the character he's credited as is Whitman, the guy who looks like he was kind of being hauled to some kind of execution in like a shady gal like alley kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. the flashback he's having as he's trying to kind of save Liam's life there on the beach. A- any ideas uh, on what that was? This new character, like, what about that? There are a lot of there are. I mean, the Sopranos are filled with hitmen. <laughs> Why? What makes Caleb so bad? Do you think we keep flashing back to just the one scene, basically, right, where he he comes out of whatever he's in uh, with his friend, 
and we don't see what happens, but the friend ends up dying in his arms and it keeps repeating in his mind. And I understand that's maybe showing us PTSD, but maybe it's showing us. It's got to be more. Again, it reminds me of Ghost in the in the Shell or something where it's just like it's a memory from a former life that you just can't get out of your head. <laughs> and But you don't have a lot of context for it because you can't remember anything else about it. Which is exactly what was happening to the hosts in season one. So because th- that was another thing that I thought they were doing early on is I thought, oh, wait a minute. Are the humans also in a simulation? Is this like a simulation within a simulation within a simulation? That's kind of where I thought we were going for a minute. Yeah. And then I think it kind of. The Matrix influence on this season is is palpable. <laughs> <laughs> I am here for it, though. I got to tell you, I'm loving, lo- loving, loving, loving it. So I, I, I just want to give a correction. So. Uh, going back to something I said like 20 minutes ago, the friend who gives Liam the drug uh, genre last week it was not Derek. I don't know his name. His name was Roderick. So there is a little bit of similarity there. It's Roderick, not Derek. Um, but the guy we see in the flashback, the one who's bound up looking like he's being escorted to his uh, death, uh, the actor is Enrico Calantoni, uh, and he oh. plays a character just named Whitman, but not someone uh, for, uh, from Veronica Mars. Not that where, one? I guess... It, that that's the guy, uh, okay. but I don't think he's playing the guy he played in Veronica Mars here. Keith no. Mars, but it's the same actor, though. Same actor, uh, and uh, yeah, he's playing someone named Whitman who has not appeared on. the I show I noticed before. his name in the credits, and I can't, and I didn't remember him in the in the show. Interesting. That's who it was. Yeah, and, no, I thought it was. I thought we were definitely getting a red herring because there was some similarities that he looked like uh, Dempsey, like Senior, but no. but no, it wasn't a different guy. And then obviously we see Dempsey's fate. He's not wearing the same kind of tan coat. And, you know, Sorok ends up doing him in at his uh, his crash plane. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I don't know who or what Caleb is. I really don't have a great guess. I mean, I think I think the best thing we can take from tonight's episode is that he is an outlier. You know, he says at the beginning uh, when when he tells he tells Liam Jr., he says, use your specs. Look at me. You know, what do they tell you about me that I'm going to kill myself? You know, that you, you set me off to war. You know, he says, you sent me off the word, and this is like 35 minutes before Sorak is talking to Dempsey in the flashback about, you know, sending the outliers off to war and, and you know, kind of letting them clean themselves like a self-cleaning oven or alter them. Uh, so I think that's good confirmation that Caleb is something special. But how special? I, I don't know. I don't know. It, uh, I'm glad we're not covering Colony at the same time as this anymore, because... Remember, there was there all the host talk, and then by the end of the show, there was a lot of outlier talk. <laughs> it's very, it's very true. It's like they they, they mixed up their lexicons here. Uh, but back back to the trip. So the so if 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 nightclubbing the the scene with the the bright colors and 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 watching Dolores launch her plan and and uh, Caleb starts to really have a feel for uh, what he, what he's kind of given a nod to. The, the next trip, what I, what I think is the final trip um, that takes him out of it is a great cover of Space Odyssey, uh, David Bowie's uh, classic Space Odyssey, but it's done by the classic rock string quartet. Ground control to major charm. I, when I heard that cue up on the, on the strings, I was like, oh, fuck, that's fantastic. <laughs> and, but you got to see this like slow-mo anarchy unfold around him as he's kind of emerging from this trip, kind of the horrors of what man is in its kind of natural state, uh, which is interesting because I think that's definitely how Liam says it. He says, you know, look, they're already reverting to their base instincts, but I think that's how Dolores sees it also, which is what she wants, you know, to, to, to be your best of yourselves or the worst of yourselves, just be yourself kind of thing. But the horror 
did you guys take Caleb's facial reactions as kind of horror at what he's done or just something else? Do you think he regrets kind of signing on to Dolores' plan? I guess is my question. What do you think, Will? I don't think it was regret. I think it was more of a reality check, just like kind of I think shit got very real very quickly. And and actually in the moment he still kind of thought he was high and they had to be like, No, this is this is actually happening. But um remember the two hitmen that came to get him that again felt very deliberate and it also felt like Dolores knew something about them like who they were or what they were doing she was very ready to jump in front of him you know uh-huh. yeah. there are so many times tonight where dolores seemed to be 10 steps ahead of everything happening and and was in the right place or had someone in the right place and that was definitely one of the scenes because yes i agree with you I, they definitely seemed like they were gunning for him specifically both guns because uh, there's a bunch of people standing there uh but something about the final trip and 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 then giggles tells him you know this is reality man he warns him at the end. He's like, the, la- the last trip is a doozy, you know, at the very mm-hmm. beginning when he sees him and he realizes what drug he's on. He warns him that that final trip is going to kind of blow his mind. And I, I think that we got to pay off of that. What did you think, Paul? What was his reaction saying there as he's listening to the David Bowie cover? Did you ever see George Romero's Land of the Dead? A long, long time ago, though, when I went through a phase where I binged all kind of all of his movies. All right. Remember at the very end when things are going wrong in the green and... Dennis Hopper believes that his his right-hand man is going to con him into doing something he doesn't want to do, so he shoots him right then and there. Uh, just one second later, someone else comes in the room and is like, hey, where's your guy? He, he had the car getting ready for you. And he goes, <laughs> he says something like, huh, if I had known that, I might not have done what I just did. And he, but he said it in this way, it was just like, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. And that's kind of what it reminded me of was was it sounded like he just wanted maybe a second longer to consider uh, the decision that that he was just party to. If Evan Rachel Wood looking like she's looking in this season (laughs) comes up to me and is like, you know, come with me if you want to live. Fuck, I'm getting on her little motorbike. Oh, can we can we bow our heads? I mean, we had a lot of fallen comrades tonight. Uh-huh. Her her little buddy motorcycle making that sacrifice. I literally stopped and I kind of went, oh, I really liked little buddy. I thought he was a great motorcycle. I was sad to see him go today. But anyway, yeah. I mean, if she came up to me and I was having kind of like this existential crisis of I, I don't know what, what I'm doing with my life. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm going to go help her out. And I'm not going to question decisions I'm making for a long while. And then she takes like six bullets for you along the way. <laughs> Bro, that's hot. Listen, we didn't even really talk about uh, the third trip. He, you know, out of the ride of Valkyries, they're they're finishing the car, the out the the aftermath of the car chase, and she's standing there with that big ass gun, and he's got he gets like the little hearts in his eyes, and the and the theme it's the it's the finale love story it's the finale theme of a love story starts to play as he's like oh you know like you could see like little like cupids like in his eyeballs kind of thing I I totally get that brother I feel you like a, a woman with a big gun that is hard to turn down. <laughs> She's also really nailed. I think it's, I think it's inherent in who Evan Rachel Wood is, but she's nailed the like juxtaposition of like the masculine and the feminine. Like, uh, it, it works on, on all cylinders. <laughs> you know, like we were talking about how this seems like a culmination of, of a lot of things that Westworld is about. I think this is the most Dolores Abernathy that she's ever been. I feel. I feel like this is who this character was meant to be, and she is just nailing the shit out of it. I mean, I think she's been great on the show always, but I think this is her being peak 
her character. Yeah, it reminds me of Kristen and I uh, a couple weeks ago. We're talking about uh, the movie Sucker Punch, and I asked a question, and I said, "Is there ever a place where the male gaze and the female gaze meets and even overlaps?" And I would say that it is Dolores Abernathy in season three of Westworld. <laughs> Um, Ever Rachel Wood, I believe, being bi- bisexual or pansexual, <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, she she caters to all. Everyone is okay to be, you know, be lusting after her. So, I mean, I think there are some questions that need to be asked. One, why is Bernard so important to her? I think we all thought it was maybe just the baseline. She tells him at the end of last season and repeats a couple of times at the beginning of this season. I need someone to keep me in check. You know, everyone's got a role to play. And you and I are not going to be friends. And I think everyone took that to mean that he is going to be the Dolores check to, to make sure she doesn't go too, too far. But I feel like, especially tonight, and I felt the last couple of episodes, it's been something more than that. That there's a special role for him, but I don't know what that role is. I have a couple ideas, but I'm curious if you guys have any any thoughts on why is Bernard so precious to Dolores and her little baby clones? Well, I think you're onto something. Because, uh, I mean, Connell's could have done anything he wanted with Bernard at a certain point there and didn't. Uh, and then he even says, you're the only one we can't replace, meaning something like, you know, we need you to stay alive at least up until a certain point. Kind of like we learned with Liam. <laughs> we only need you alive up to a certain point after that. Meh. Um, and maybe that's the same with Bernard. Um, I'm not that right. That would be like a last episode sort of, sort of deal. Right. I mean, I think there's a there's a base level to take that statement on. You're the only one we can't replace because obviously, I mean, it was said with like bold underlining italics. But also, you know, we we know she took five brain balls, include not including the one in her own head when she was Charloris. You know, so there's six brain balls out there. Five, four of them we know are Dolores or a Dolores clone. One is a Bernard, and then there's the fifth one that she removed that we don't know. It's some clone, but we don't know who the clone is yet of Dolores. So on a base level. You're the only one we can't replace. You could take as, well, you could just reach into dead Martin Conoloris and grab out his brain ball and you have still have your Dolores clone. There's no Bernard clone out there. But why does that matter? You know, there's only one Maeve. There's only one, there was only one Hector and one Teddy. You know, there's only one brain ball for all of them other than the Dolores and the clone. I think that is a loaded line with multiple meanings, but we don't know what those other meanings Maybe are. Maybe like how other other hosts have been carrying around things in their head that are important for one reason or another. Maybe he also has something he doesn't even know that he has. Sort of like Peter Abernathy didn't know that he had the data. He just, you know, like similar to Bernard had little glitches in his personality unlike bernard bernard can actually kind of treat himself to make sure everything's still okay but he's got that dual personality issue that hasn't come up since the uh slaughterhouse (laughs) incident so maybe that's part of it bernard's kind of not quite a blind spot maybe more of a wild card for me this season and i guess i just assumed it had to do with the fact with their history because the two of them in season one spent a lot of time together. They had a, a very uh, intimate history with each other. Anthony Hopkins, uh, I mean, he built Bernard, correct? So maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe he's one of, because I mean, Del- they talk about how Dolores was one of the original hosts, and that's one of the things that kind of made her special. I mean, maybe it's a similar thing with well, I Bernard. I have a pet theory that, that the uh, erasing that Bernard did of Ford last season out of his mind i don't know that you can erase your creator like that 
and be totally successful. You know, there might be, I think there's still some Ford lingering in there, just, just waiting to, to make his appearance. There's a lot of talk about God this season without actually really talking about it. So I guess a lot of allusions to such. And Oh, I think they're doing a lot of talking about it. I, I mean, they brought it up tonight, the end of uh, the season premiere, when you guys talked about it, right before she kills human Martin Connells and replaces him with host Martin Connells, you know, she says the the gods are coming and they're angry, or the real gods are coming and they're angry. And tonight, you have on the other side of the ledger, you have Sorak talking about, you know, we need to save humanity from itself. We need to build a god. And that's mm-hmm. what, you know, that's what Rehoboam is meant to represent. It, it's, it's this new god. The show is very much kind of delving into the idea of a higher power and it, part of the it's part of the whole free will. I mean, you can't talk about God without talking about free will, right? That's or vice the, versa. Or vice mm-hmm. versa. I mean, that's kind of the whole thing is, you know, why do bad things happen to people? Mm-hmm. If you, but yet you believe in God. It's because God gave us free will to make our own choices. You know, he's an absentee landlord, you know? He kind of mm-hmm. set us out into the world and, and we were allowed to fuck things up. But is that what a God should do? Or should a God be can kind of keeping our hand on the tiller and, and guiding us? Uh, and you have these forces. You have Dolores, Dolores as a god, and you have Rehoboam and Sorak as his kind of, you know, vicar on earth uh, god. And, you know, it, is Bernard the bridge? Because, you know, Bernard is this kind of hybrid human robot, the most hybrid there is. He still refers to himself uh, as being human more often than not. He said it to Stubbs, you know, he referred to, you're one of them, and, and then changed it to, I mean, us. You know, so maybe that's the key to Bernard. Maybe maybe he's the one, he's the messiah who can bridge humans and hosts because of his forwardness, like Paul is saying, that's still inside him. And I agree with you. I don't think you could delete all of the creator's influence on you. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a wild thought while we were sitting here talking about it. What if Bernard is the location where Dolores hid the data, the forge, all of the hosts, they remember at the end of last season, she changes the destination of where they're being sent instead of going to Delos's computers off island. And that's what Sorak is after. He's he's after the, the, the key that Dolores holds. Maybe Dolores doesn't hold the key. Maybe it's mm. maybe she put it in Bernard. Maybe that's why he can't be replaced, because he holds the encryption key to unlocking it. Everyone assumes that Dolores has it in her head. Maybe the smart move was to put it into her enemy's head. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes that's credible. I think I, I think that's worth <laughs> putting, you know, because she remakes his body, right? She makes she remakes his body in Arnold's uh, skin factory. He's one of the five unauthorized hosts that she makes um, and obviously had his brain balls, the little bra- bloody brain ball other than the, you know, and the other four clean balls, um, you know, so it, just the way he reprogrammed Stubbs to be his protector. Maybe she added some programming to Bernard that he hasn't uncovered yet that has this encryption key. So that, that certainly makes him an end game valuable, but he's so interesting though, I think because he's so, he's so on the fence. I don't think he really knows if, if, whose team he's on. I don't, mm. I don't, I think he's still trying to play catch up. You know, he, he, uh, for a smart guy, he's just a little bit behind the curve of where he's been very passive this season. Yeah. It's kind of being bounced from place he's to place. John I, I don't know. <laughs> very. You are my queen, except for when you're not, and then I am against you. Uh, let's run down a quick list of who died tonight. So we had uh, Martin uh, Connolores. He bit it. We had uh, we had uh, 
we had Ma- uh, Martel, uh, Pam Contif, Clementif. Yeah, Clementif. Mm-hmm. Uh, her her storyline came to an end tonight. We had uh, Liam Junior came to an end tonight, and of course we had Little Buddy, the help, most helpful motorcycle, came to an end tonight. Uh, what did you guys? Uh, did any of those particularly? Uh, are you sad to see any of them go? And in particular, Liam. Were, were you guys happy to see him go? I kind of initially really liked him, and then the last few episodes, kind of like, God, you're a fucking douchebag. I'm glad to see you go. Oh, I, I thought he was dead meat soon as soon as he was on camera. <laughs> you <Yeah>. did. <laughs> you were like, well, we're not going to deal with him anymore. And I was like, I think he's on the show. <laughs> I, weirdly, I didn't like him. But I guess it, it, he was a window into a part of this show that I personally enjoyed, which is the palace intrigue part. It's like I would watch Gossip Girl just in, in this reality. So <laughs> I was a little bummed to lose him in that regard. And uh, I was actually a little bummed to lose Martel because I feel like they she was around enough that they insisted she was a character. But then she just didn't do anything. And so I was kind of like, uh, oh, okay. Uh, right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, she she has, <laughs> she has that great line with Charlotte last week, where she ushers uh, Charlotte in to have one of those AR conversations with Sarak, and she says to her in French, "You know, I hope we can be friends." You know, I was like, "Oh, we're gonna get some more Martel. We're gonna flush her out a little bit." And I think mm-hmm. she she's a big enough star. I, I thought also we were gonna get something more from her. Her star is on the rise, and she's also she's good in the things I've seen her in. And so it was kind of like part of me was kind of like, "Oh, cool," and then I was like, "Oh, okay." Well. <laughs> That that makes sense. It almost it almost feels kind of like maybe she like approached Nolan and was like uh, and Lisa and was like I'd like to be in the show. So they like made a part for her, but like not enough to make it like a big mm-hmm. part kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe he maybe she's going to be in a movie of his uh, down the road. Who knows? How about you, Paul? Did any of the fallen characters tonight strike you as uh, I, I I hope they had stuck around a little bit more. I actually thought Martin Conaloris, uh <laughs> I thought he still maybe had some utility there so they but you know once he was blown then I guess not so much you know everyone's got a role to play that you know on top of the free will discussion of one of the repeating themes here is always everyone has a role to play and you know Lee Sizemore you know always used to preach about the storyline and when your storyline's done you know when you've mm-hmm. run, run out of your lines that's when you make your exit kind of thing and you know that seemed to be what Martin was saying uh, as he kind of sacrificed himself so that Stubbs and Bernard could get away. Uh, I read this, so I'm not going to take credit for this, but it planted a little germ in my brain that I can't scrub. Uh, it seems Dolores and Martin are protecting Bernard. And and TV says, or and, and well, any kind of narrative drama says, if, if on one side someone's protecting someone, then there's someone on the other side that wants to hurt someone. If Dolores and Martin are protecting Bernard, and it seems that they are, you know, they could have killed him several times, mm-hmm. you know, from from when they picked him up at the party last week. What's Stubbs's deal? Is Stubbs is Stubbs secretly under the control of Sorak? You know, Sorak made uh, intimated to Charlotte that he's got other people under his control that maybe we don't know about. Um, is Stubbs? Uh, can we look back at how he's interacted with Bernard so far this season? And is there any is there any germ there that takes hold that maybe Stubbs is, you know, sticking close to Bernard because he also knows Bernard is important to the endgame or Sorak knows Bernard is important to the endgame? Well, it could be he's leaning into being captive, like he's really playing it up up to and even including possibly pretending to be able to be frozen by the thing that uh, Bernard had. 
Um, now that you now that you say it that way, I'm like, oh, the, yeah, that is sort of they got a screwball energy going on that I could absolutely see leading to something. <laughs> well, I mean, it is interesting that Sorak has one of those host stoppy buttons, and Bernard was able to kind of uh, jigger rig uh, one of those host stoppy buttons, and so they mm -hmm. both they both have host stoppy buttons now because he takes it out of Martin's pocket uh, at the end of the episode. Bernard has one now, and and Sorak has one now. So it's interesting to, to kind of explore, do they both all work equally? I don't, mm. I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about uh, Paul? Is there something there maybe that if, if Bernard and if Dolores and Martin are trying to protect Bernard, that maybe Stubbs is a, is a wolf in sheep's clothing? That, I mean, hmm, that's interesting because that would, you could explain that with some sort of flashback where they basically stash Stubbs in that cold storage room basically waiting to be found maybe there were other partially activated stubses <laughs> around and they just found that one but i mean my instinct is that that the bernard character he's not he's not able to really protect himself all that well without turning on you know a beast mode that's kind of a pun given you know who's in this episode Maybe maybe it's just as simple as they they needed muscle with him. No, he's very deliberately here. The they're he's on the show, so it's building to something because <laughs> they they haven't kept people around. Just that's for shits. true. Like, that's true. They've yeah they they've killed they've basically killed anybody that that outlived their their usefulness. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, you're right. You might, it might be a plant. Might be a plant by Sirak. I hope not, because I've really enjoyed their lethal weapon level energy that the two of them have mm -hmm. going, going on this season. Uh, even when he pops out tonight, you know, uh, we talked about he gets thrown over the over the ledge last week. We talked on last week's podcast, uh, you know, like maybe that was the end of Stubbs, but probably not. Um, you know, it just kind of pops up because, you know, Martin is in the middle of telling Bernard, you know, we're the, la we're the only family you've got left. And Stubbs is just like, you forgot about me. You know, and he kind of <laughs> just goes into it. And it, but then but then he's like a little help here you know like he, him and him and Bernard have a great uh, wacky banter that I hope does not you know turn to ash in my mouth at the end uh, <laughs> when things are all said and done. Uh, one more question for you guys: What's in the big black bag that gets delivered to the hangar right before Caleb gets on the plane with with Dolores when they had that great exchange of you know I, maybe I'm not human and maybe I'm not either. He he gets that big big black bag delivery. What, what's your guess? That's another, in there. Another Matrix moment. Guns. Lots of guns. <laughs> Whoa! I just learned kung fu. Yeah. <laughs> no, no clue. I have no idea. I had forgotten until you said that. I, I have my, my guess was probably guns too. It it was a you know you could definitely fit a small uh, person or a child in that bag. But yeah, you're right. It's probably guns. Dolores' other favorite baby uh, besides her clones, weapons. Uh, all right, this is uh, this has become my favorite part of episodes. We have three episodes left, maybe forever. That's just purely my conjecture. Um, but we definitely know we only have eight episodes a season. Paul, give me a question you want answered and give me a prediction you want to make about the season. A question I want answered is, is a man in black a host or how long has he been a host? And a prediction is that we will see Ford at least once before the end of the season. Mm, uh, that's good. I guess I'm curious if we're going to see any more of our old friends uh i was particularly fond of clementine she felt like kind of a true neutral or a true north that i would like to see her again 
I'm curious because they did talk about, I cannot, it had to have been the previous episode. Like I said, I watched them both back to back, but they talked about it being possible to go back to that heaven realm. So I guess I'm, I'm curious mostly just what, what we're building to. Like if, if the show has some grand thesis statement it, it, or it's just a big game of what if that's going to leave us scratching our heads. Sorak mentions that Dolores has connections in uh, Jakarta, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Berlin. I can't remember if there was a fifth one, but it's the Berlin one I want to talk about because Jakarta is uh, Mushashi, right? That's uh, who we saw last yeah. week. He's the divergence that Sorak takes Maeve to. Um, uh, right? Yes. Am I right there? Yeah. Uh, and so, so that's him. Uh, we have Charlotte in San Francisco. We've got Martin, uh, you know, Connoloris in Los Angeles. So who is in Berlin? Is it a multi-part question? Who is in Berlin? And is it a friend from the park wearing, you know, a Dolores ball, a Dolores clone in a friend from the park? Or is it a Dolores ball in like a Martin, someone who's new, who's just key to the story? I hope it's someone that we know because I don't think we need a brand new character or a brand new face on the show, especially for budget reasons, people. Let's let's be efficient here. Let's use an actor or actress that we already know. I'm interested to see who is the Berliner that obviously we're going to be introduced to. That was a little line that got dropped in there, and I don't think we had heard about Berlin before, so I want to know who was in Berlin. I still also want to know what happened to Paris. That was my question mm-hmm. from last week. I still want them to tell us what, what do we do in about 10 years from now in our present time. That fucks it all up. Paul has a great one with, I think we're going to see Ford before the end of the season. That would have been the one that I would have taken had I thought of it. I was thinking about this from a discussion we had last week. I'm going to go with the fact that this is not the real world. My prediction is that we are not in the real world, but we're seeing full unfold this season, that we are just in a larger park. That this is just a wider, more in-depth, like next-level uh, Disney D- Disney park uh, that we're that we're living in, or a simulation. I I don't think it's a simulation because I think the simulation wouldn't be able to handle. I mean, may have proved that simulations can be crashed with too complex uh, of a thing. But I, I think this is a Rehoboam run park. Uh, that's that's the real secret behind Rehoboam. The way the reason it works is because it's it's all storylines. It's all Lee Sizemore writing out stories. So so you know the mom on the train sees that her daughter's going to commit suicide. You know with a wrist injury. That's why she grabs her wrist. That was one of the little screens uh, in in ten years. Uh, you know uh, Ash's brother is you know going to have a violent death and is deemed unsuitable for reproduction in five to six years you know that's all there because it's all, all the storylines have been written out so this this is the future world the the literal translation of a future world park that's my prediction mm. for the show and that's how they and that's how the series is going to end that realization we're going to get you know dolores is going to have this triumphant moment to learn that it was all for fucking nothing that would be that would be very good and and also because that that is what I just assumed going into the season. And I do kind of like when shows take the most obvious conclusion and then blindside you with it. You know, it's like they, they've convinced us that we're in reality long enough to that the reveal would be, no, it is it is future world, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think and and then she turns to the camera and screams, you damn dirty apes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, this has been the Westworld Podcast. I've been Mike from Pop Culture and Review. This is Paul with Daily Review. And I'm Will from So I'm Watching This Show. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. 
Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.